So I figured it would be a good day to tell a romantic story. Right? It's Valentine's Day, right? Uh, so I, I have the great privilege uh, of sitting with couples who are preparing for marriage uh, for multiple sessions. Couples like Paige and Brett who sit before us today. That's right. Yeah, see? Uh, and and they, they undergo uh, great scrutiny in those sessions together as we talk about things like love. And one of the early conversations that I have with these couples, right, is an interview. I, I love to ask them a million questions about their relationship, how they met, and all these good things. And one of the questions that I always ask uh, for both of them is, what is it that you love most about your future spouse? And you get lots of really good answers. But not too long ago, there was a guy that uh, hit it out of the park. Uh, Maybe the best answer to that question that I've ever heard. So guys, you might want to take notes, right? Here, Here it is. What do you love most about your future spouse? And he said, I love that I never know from day to day, from page to page, from chapter to chapter, of my life, what she is going to do. But I love that I get to do it with her. You hear the ladies? Yeah. Right? Guys, Brett, you're taking notes. I can see. That's good. You're all right. Okay. Right? I, that, I, I, that's, a, that's a good answer. I, I'll be really honest. In my wife's Valentine's card this year, I wrote that, right? <laughs> that was, that was that's, that, that's that good, right? The question for you, though, does that resonate with you in your love relationship with God? God, I really don't know what you're going to do next, <laughs> In fact, it seems as if you in my life makes every page different, every chapter a challenge. But I'm glad that I get to do it with you. Does that resonate in your relationship with God? Does that resonate with you in the turning of the pages of Scripture? Maybe because it's where we've landed since January in the pages of Elisha's life and ministry. I, I, I hope there's some sense. I, I know preachers live with higher expectations sometimes than we should. But I hope there's some sense that you're like, I can't wait for the next Elisha story. Like you wake up on Sunday mornings, you're going, yes, Stoffer's going to give us another Elisha story today, right? That, that the next page of scripture, that the next story is that which you're going to see God. We've entitled this series, A a Messenger of Hope. It's what Elisha is. It's his purpose. His life and ministry as a prophet is to provide the hope of restoration, that out of, listen, that out of the hard places comes hope. Elijah, who foreshadows Elisha, has told God's people that the hard times are coming But Elisha's message is that out of the hard places, God is turning pages of hope. And this morning, we we return to an interesting uh, second page in the life of a Shunammite woman that we met last week. Remember her? We said she was a great 
woman. She had great wealth, but she had great integrity, great sense of a heart given to God. But she had a problem. She had been left without a child. That is until the miracle of God provided her with one. This morning we see a new chapter in the life of this woman with that child, and we clearly see the hard places ushering in a message of hope. I think the point is that we get to see this woman, listen, turn a significant page in her life, but seeks to do it with God. She's glad that God is doing it with her. You ready for that? Two of you, fantastic. Ready, ready for the pages of Scripture to speak to our lives, ready to see how we might love doing life with God even when we don't know what is coming next. 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 18 through 37. If you have your Bibles, that's awesome. You get extra brownie points this morning. Turn there or on your electronic device. Um, 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 18 through 37. As you turn there, I will tell you, and it's on the screen, my sermon in a sentence. Sometimes I try to do this for you and for me so that I stay on task. I think the sermon in a sentence is this, doing hard places with God always brings hope. 2 Kings chapter 4, starting in verse 18. It says this, this is the very word of God. When the child had grown, he went out one day to his father among the reapers. And he said to his father, oh, my head, my head. The father said to his servant, carry him to his mother. And when he had lifted him and brought him to his mother, the child sat on her lap till noon and then he died. And she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God and shut the door behind them. And went out. And then she called to her husband and said, Send me one of the servants and one of the donkeys that I may quickly go to the man of God and come back again. And he said to her, Why will you go to him today? It is neither new moon or Sabbath. She said, All is well. Then she saddled the donkey and she said to her servant, Urge the animal on. Do not slacken the pace for me unless I tell you. So she set out and came to the man of God at Mount Carmel. When the man of God saw her coming, he said to Gehazi, his servant, Look, there is the Shunammite. Run at once to meet her and say to her, Is all well with you? Is all well with your husband? Is all well with the child? And she answered, All is well. When she came to the mountain to the man of God, she caught hold of his feet. And Gehazi came to push her away. But the man of God said, Leave her alone, for she is in bitter distress. And the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me. Then she said, did I ask my Lord for a son? Did I not say, do not deceive me? And he said to Gehazi, tie up your garments and take my staff in your hand and go. If you meet anyone, do not greet them. And if anyone greets you, do not reply and lay my staff on the face of the child. Then the mother of the child said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So he arose and followed her. Gehazi went on ahead and laid the staff on the face of the child, but there was no sound or sign of life. Therefore, he returned to meet him and told him, the child is not awakened. You ready? When Elisha came into the house, he saw the child lying dead on his bed. So he went in and shut the door behind the two of them and prayed. He prayed. He prayed to the Lord. 
Then he went up and lay on the child, putting his mouth on his mouth, his eyes on his eyes, and his hands on his hands. And as he stretched himself upon him, the flesh of the child became warm. Then he got up again and walked once back and forth in the house and went up and stretched himself upon him. The child sneezed seven times, and the child opened his eyes. Then he summoned Gehazi and said, Call this Shunammite. So he called her. When she came to him, he said, Pick up your son. And she came and fell at his feet, bowing to the ground. Then she picked up her son and went out. Part of me just wants to close in prayer now. I think you get it, right? But let me share some thoughts. Doing hard places with God always brings hope. The hard place uh, is obvious in this text, point one. The one recording this history makes a bit of a leap from the conception of a child to what we might guess to be this child at seven or eight years old. He has a go to work with dad day, right? Out to the fields where the reapers are and he suffers some kind of medical emergency that causes severe pain in his head. Dad has someone take him to his mother and once the boy is on her lap, he lives for only hours and dies. This is a hard place. I think all of us, whether we can relate to losing a child or not, feels the pain of this moment. Listen, it was a child that she had yearned for, a child that she actually had then given up on, but then miraculously received. Imagine how helicopter of a parent she would have been to that little boy. Imagine the protection of that child over the eight years of his life. Imagine the deep emotions of gratitude to God for that child. Imagine how many times this mother sat over her child in wonder as he slept. And then imagine the fear as he is brought with this headache. Imagine the prayers offered as he sat on her lap. Imagine the grief as he breathed his last. This is a hard place. Can you reflect for a moment this morning on your hard place? Maybe a place where you are currently. It may be a place where you have been that still hurts. Maybe a place that you see that you are going. Many of us have lost people in our lives as this woman has lost her son. Those are extremely hard places. Maybe it's been a lost job a lost purpose, a lost dream. Maybe it's been a lost relationship, lost security, and lost love. We live in a day that we need to come to grips with the fact that, listen, people of God, we will lose religious liberties in this country. We will give way to a greater immorality 
accepted in this culture. Maybe, maybe it's just the reality that we sometimes feel as if we're going to lose our minds. <laughs> Anxiety, stress, fear. Am I hitting anybody? All right. I know we are in church. I know we're supposed to put on plastic smiles and forget that there are hard places. But I hope you know me by now. And then I'm going, that, that's not how I roll. This is a place for honesty. This text is a place for honesty. There are hard places. It's okay not to be okay. It's okay to say that it is hard. The hard places. The Shunammite woman is in a hard place. What will she do? Well, I've read the text. You know what she does. What she doesn't do is she doesn't give up. She doesn't curl up. Instead, she packs up, right? And she says, I'm going on a journey. And it is an amazing faith journey. Second point this morning, after understanding our hard places, is this woman's journey of faith. She takes the child into the prophet's room and places him on Elisha's bed. And man, there's all kinds, there's a sermon in itself in that reality. We're going to fly by, right? Uh, This was the best place she knew that would place him close to God. Then she goes to her husband, has an interesting conversation. She asks for a donkey to go see Elisha. Listen, and either hubby doesn't know the child is dead or he's really a bad hubby, right? You hear this conversation? I don't think it's the right time to go see the prophet. It's not new moon, not the Sabbath. I mean, so there are regular times that you would go see the prophet. This was not one of them. And he somehow is like clueless. Anyways, he questions her about the timing of seeing the prophet, and she assures him what? All is well? All is well. And he lets her go. So in a hurried pace, she sets out from Mount Carmel, about 15 miles. Elisha sees her coming, sends his servant. She blows past Gehazi, assuring him what? Because he asks, is everything okay? Is all well with your husband? Is all well with you? Is all well with the son? And she goes, all is well. And then in her distress, she comes upon Elisha and she falls at his feet cries out to him in her very hard place. So why do I say this is a journey of faith? It might sound more like a mad woman that just lost her son. Well, my main reason actually is not in this text, but in a New Testament text. And we need this morning to allow Scripture, this has helped me this week, allow Scripture to interpret Scripture. Turn, if you still have your Bibles, leave a finger in 2 Kings. Turn all the way back to Hebrews 11. And as you turn there, one of you great Bible scholars, tell me what Hebrew 11 is. Okay, it's the Hall of Faith, right? Alan Fanica got put into the Hall of Fame, not the Hall of Faith. Here is the Hall of Faith, Hebrews 11 right? And some of you know this story. There's a definition of faith, and then he he starts with Abel, and then goes to Noah, and then to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, to Moses, 
and he tells these stories of amazing, astounding faith in these men. Then as if, like, this is going to take way too long. In verse 32, he starts listing without the story. So I, I want you to listen to it. Hebrews 11, chapters, uh, chapter 11, verses 32 through 38. And he goes, what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. This is amazing. And then, get this, wait, listen, women received back their dead by resurrection. Hang on to that. What did I just say? That there were women who received back their dead by resurrection. Hall of faith. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging. And even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. Hebrews 11. 32 through 38. Did you hear who was in the hall of faith? Women who received their sons back from the dead in resurrection. How do I know this is a journey of faith? Because Hebrews 11 tells me so. Listen, this woman, and also uh, the, the, the woman of Zarephath, who just chapters before, right, going back into 1 Kings 17, uh, had her son die, and Elijah, in similar fashion, lays on him and brings him back from the dead. These women, uh, uh, they've been, their stories have been told from generation to generation to generation. So after this, they've told the story over and over again. And have they told the story as this woman was mad, as a mad, grieving mother, like she was in denial, she was living some facade, she put on a plastic smile when she said all is well. No, that's not the story they told. You know the story they told? The story they told is this woman had amazing faith. Faith that as she went, her trust in God, even in the hard place, could say, all is well. As I read her response at first, I wondered whether she was in some kind of denial, some kind of super spiritualism, but Hebrews 11 gives us a very different idea. When she says it is well, she is actually speaking in faith. In faith that God who did a miracle in her life to bring her a child will meet her in the hard place of losing her child. That no matter what page turns in her life, listen, she is glad to do it with God. Hear me out. I, I, I'm not convinced that she thought her son would live. But she was convinced, I believe, that God would meet her in her grief. And this is why she seeks out Elisha, who is for her the representative of God's voice. In her hard place, she goes all out to run after God for answers. Answers that she expects, which allows her to say in the hard place what? It is. 
is a journey of faith. It, of course, reminds me of a man who is also caught in a hard place, who was inspired by this very story and wrote these words. So let's have some fun. Ready? You know the song. You know the tune. I'm going to sing. You'll want to sing louder. Right? You know the song, right? When peace like a river attendeth my soul, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Keep going. It is well with my soul. It is well, it is well with my soul. It's good, isn't it? Listen. Words written by a guy by the name of Horatio Spafford. Anybody who's pregnant, Horatio, that's a good word, right? Horatio Spafford. I've told the story before, so I'll give you the short version this morning. He was a wealthy but very deep man of faith, a man of God. He was, uh, in biblical terms, a great man, right? But the Chicago fires had taken much away, and... Uh, Two years after those Chicago fires, his family badly needed a break, and so he put his four daughters and his wife on a boat to Europe and said, I will follow soon. While his wife and four daughters were on voyage to Europe, the storm hit the sea. His four daughters were killed. His wife survived. And Horatio Spafford gets a telegram that says, I am alive, but our daughters are gone. He boards a boat and in the very place in which his daughters perished, he wrote these words. In a hard place. Do you know what the Spirit of God said to Horatio Spafford? It is well. How does he say that? How does the Shunammite woman say it? How, how do we say it is well in our hard places? How do we run after God when it feels as if he's stripped everything away? The answer of that question for me has come down to a pretty simple question. I can choose to do hard things by myself, or I can choose to ask God to do the hard things with me. Here's my experience, maybe the experience of this woman. When I ask God to do it with me, there is always an element of hope that results, no matter how hard the place. Look at the rest of this story from hard places to a journey of faith. I want you to see the miracle of new life. 
Elisha sends Gehazi ahead to lay his staff on the boy. It appears that both Gehazi and Elisha believed that the staff would wake the boy, but it doesn't. So Elisha enters the room and he prays. Oh, please hear that. He prays. And he lays down on the boy, his mouth on his mouth, his eyes on his eyes, and his hands on his hands. And the boy's flesh gets warm. I don't know, Elisha gets up. I'm thinking he gets up because he feels the warmth of his body and says, okay, God, you did that, that's cool, let's see the boy. And he doesn't still move. So it says that Elisha walked around the house once, and then he comes again and lies on the boy, and the child sneezes seven times and awakens. My sick mind, just for a parenthetical thought, when you're mouth-to-mouth with a guy and he sneezes seven times, that's just not a pleasant thought, right? But for Elisha, it was the brilliance of the power of God. He's alive. Don't miss the power of God and the miracle. Don't miss the power of a strong God who brings dead people back to life. And people of God this morning, don't miss the gospel here. Elisha's job is not simply to display display the power of God in the window of his life, but God intends, listen, it's Elisha's purpose as a prophet that this story would not be a a one-time shot and done. It is a story that has ramifications and meaning for ages to come. Again, remember, the first readers of 2 Kings would have been a people in exile facing, what? Death. In a hard place, separated from their family as slaves to a foreign country. But Elisha says, oh, there is a day when your death will turn to life. You're going to return, and the country will be yours. And I would suggest that as we read it, that we see the gift of Jesus, the eternal hope of life. I mean, just saying, there is no harder place than the consequence of sin. There is no harder place than hell. There is no harder place than eternal death. Which is why Jesus has come and has taken on flesh. He's gone mouth to mouth and nose to nose and eye to eye to be one of us from the glories of heaven to the brokenness of this earth. I don't know, I picture hand to hand. I I see the cross as he indeed covers death and brings life. He came, Christ did, that we might arise from death and live forever. Listen, Elisha doesn't know that he's telling that story. But God has made it this way so that on Valentine's Day 2021, we might hear this good news. Do, people of God, do you know that hope? Are you trusting that hope in your hard place? How do we make that journey of faith? How do we say it is well? Well, hear out Horatio Spafford, right? Sing with me. We'll go a little faster. 
When Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control. Are you ready? Here we go. That Christ has regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul. Like you mean it now. It is well. With my soul, it is well, it is well with my soul. Don't stop. That my sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part. But the whole is nailed to the cross. Come on. And I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Oh, my soul. Last time, make it good. It is well. With my soul, it is well, it is well with my soul. Listen, I have to believe that the reason the Shunammite woman had faith that God would meet her in her hard place is because he met her in her childlessness and gave her the miracle of life. Likewise, the reason that Stoffer knows that God will meet me in my hard place, that I have confidence that he will meet you in your hard place, is because he has sent Jesus to meet us in the hardest place ever, the consequence of our sin, by giving us his son, to die that we might have life. Oh, this week, this week, sniff some pepper. You know where this is going, right? You know how they can take portions of sermons out and do that? that, that that's not going to be a good portion. Sniff some pepper. Why? You're going to sneeze. And you're going to remember the reality of the life that you have in Christ. As he indeed has laid out his life for you. The story, this story is not a promise that he will physically bring people back to life. It's not even a story that says you're going to get what you want. But it is a story that points to his promise of taking each of us from death to life. It is a story that promises us that if we trust him in hard places, in every page and every chapter of our lives, that we will find hope in those pages. That literally we can say on every page of our lives, in every chapter of our lives, it is well. And it is a challenge to us to run after God in our hard places. To say it is well. To believe it is well. 
even though we don't know what the next page holds. Because doing hard places with God always brings hope. And in that hope, people of God, we can trust. So what is your hard place? Where are you in that journey of faith? Do you know the miracle of life that God has given unto you? Maybe today, Valentine's Day, is a good day to know the deep love that God has for you by being honest about where you are and running after him for all you need. So I, 